welcome to another episode of Arista's Movie Adventure. Today I am joined by my friend Ryan. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing as best as you can right now with everything going on in the world. Uh, making it through, trying to keep myself sane. How about yourself? <laughs> Absolutely the same. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why I started doing this podcast was just so I could have something to do on a routine, you know, outside of work. So, yeah, that's always a plus, especially outside of work. Yeah, exactly. So the movies that we are going to talk about today is a movie uh, you suggested, Bad Education, which is on HBO, and then a movie I suggested, uh, Whiplash, which I got on Amazon Prime. Um, we're going to spoil both both of those, uh, so let's just jump right into it. Um, Ryan, why don't you give a quick intro to Bad Education? All right, so Bad Education was released on HBO in... September of 2019, so relatively new. Um, it is a based on a true story movie, which is always a hit or miss. Um, it stars Hugh Jackman as the superintendent of schools, Dr. Frank Tassone, and Allison Janney as the assistant superintendent, Pam Glucken. Uh, the basis of the story, it's set in Long Island, New York in 2002. Um, the school that uh, Hugh's character works at is number four in the state and it's helping property values and everyone's making money off of it more or less and they're trying to reach that goal of number one um, a student uh, kind of throws a monkey wrench in that when she is asked to do a puff piece for the school newspaper on a skywalk that they planned on building at the school and she finds discrepancies in the school's um, books and finds millions of dollars missing and being sent to fraudulent companies. Um, it first implicates Pam, who is more or less removed from the school due to a quote-unquote uh, life-threatening illness, which is not the case. And then she is gives her son a credit card, who further implicates her. Um, and then it comes out that Frank Tassone was also part of this whole uh, embezzlement scheme. And it is just the descent of a man trying to hide the fact that he stole millions of dollars from Roslyn School in Long Island. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, just to highlight again, true story. This actually happened. Uh and it's, I think it's the largest public school embezzlement scheme in America, like in the history of America, something like that, um, which is insane. Uh, yeah, so, so some other things, too. Uh, uh, so Hugh Jackman, uh, I thought, played played Frank Tassone amazingly. Uh, he was so good. Probably one of his best performances as an actor, I mean, it was uh, I've seen. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I love the fact that it wasn't a singing role for him. Yeah. I think yeah. it's the first time he hasn't sang since Logan. Um, <laughs> but the part that amazed me the most with his character is there was like levels to it. So there was a part of you that m believed he was this good, caring man, which he was. Um, there's a scene where he meets up with one of his old students that he hasn't seen in 15 years on ballparking um, at a bar in Las Vegas and remembers everything about him, remembers that he wanted to be a writer. 
and then it becomes a whole um, romantic relationship there. But uh, that's something else that we'll talk about. Yeah, um, yeah. So the, I was going to say the nuance to his character is that all everyone loves him. Like all the teachers, students, uh, the school student. Um, sorry, the school board. They all they all love him. He's great. And another thing that kind of interested me through the whole thing is you got a sense of narcissism with him uh, from the very beginning. Cause um, so for those who haven't watched it, the movie opens up with the sweet sultry voice of Ray Romano listing the number of students going to Ivy league schools in the background. Mm-hmm. And then it uh, pans to uh, Frank in a bathroom surrounded by um, healthcare products like cologne, uh, hair gel stuff. So it's like, okay, he cares about his image was mm-hmm. slick back hair, perfect suit. Um, fast forward to the Vegas scene. He has nine suits in a cl- in his closet for a three day event and like 200, I'm definitely exaggerating 200 bottles on the nightstand of just skincare product and hair product. Mm-hmm. Um, and a huge, kudos to the makeup department this is something that caught my eye the first watch was uh there's a scene where he's talking to a student and the wrinkles on his face are really pronounced his cheeks are kind of fallen and then almost in a pass-by scene they show him on an operating table they do a quick incision above the ear and then for the next half hour of the movie his skin is taut on his face so it is like an obvious facelift Oh, good catch i mean obviously i knew he got the the plastic surgery but that's a really good catch with the the makeup department and whatnot. Um, yeah, I, I got to say, I was on board with him, really, all the way up until... Uh, so, as you said, there is a scene... So what happens is Pam, played by Alice and Janney, really well, she gives uh, a credit card to her son, which has the Rosalind School name on it. So it's the school's, like, slush fund credit card. And it goes around to different uh, depot stores, like Ace Home Hardware's. Depot stores. Yeah, yeah, Ace Hardware's. And buys a bunch of like um, hardware equipment and whatnot, and then that's how he kind of gets caught because like a friend of a friend was wondering like, hey, why did you pay for it like this? And so when the school board finds out about this, they're all up in arms, ready to fire Pam and like kind of throw a lawsuit at her and all this stuff. And then uh, Frank Tassone convinces them not to do it just like a oh think of like the property value will plummet around here you know we don't want a big hubbub in the media and all this stuff we don't want you know think of what the headlines would be and think of how that would ruin our quest to like become the number one school etc like perfect that was an amazing scene that was that showed really the um hugh jackman's character as just someone who can convince and bend people to his will as like a, as an orator, you know, uh, I really like that. Yeah. Uh, he definitely showed that he could be a master manipulator through this. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's a scene when the auditor who has been doing their books for years, never noticed. And he's like, well, I have to report this to the firm. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose the firm's reputation. And he just convinced him like, no, you didn't see anything. Everything's fine. Everything will wash out in the end. Just give me a number. We can spin the number. And then even beyond that, uh, later in the film, there's the auditor comes back with a question about two first class plane tickets to London. Mm-hmm. And just the way that Hugh Jackman's character shuts him down and basically makes him drop the whole ordeal, even though 
it's clearly wrong that they spent $1,500 round trip for a flight to London. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wasn't he saying like, Oh, there must've been a, a billing mistake. Like don't, uh, I'll have to look into that sort of thing. And then it was like, well, you bought two tickets, you know, I think it was exactly. some, something along that line. Um, the, I liked to, uh, so the main story focuses on uh, not only uh, Frank Tassone and uh, Pam, but also uh, Rachel, uh, who is a student at the student newspaper. So like you said, she was supposed to write a puff piece on this like a uh, couple million dollar skywalk that they were going to build. And she kind of just uncovers a bunch of discrepancies in, in like finances and finds a bunch of uh, uh, supply orders, like for building stuff around the school that just were never fulfilled, but still sp- spent money on. Uh, and she kind of investigates where these uh, companies are like kind of tied to. They're all fake. They're all tied to different addresses. She hunts them down. And it, it, one of them, um, which really... At, at this point, I was still kind of like, is Frank in on this? I don't really know. But one of them she discovers is actually, uh, I guess, Frank's is a boyfriend or husband? Husband. Husband. Yeah. In Manhattan. So she travels from Long Island to Manhattan, finds an apartment building where a company is registered to the address and finds Frank coming home to his husband. And so at that point, obviously, I knew like this is uh, <laughs> Frank's a bad guy. But um so one thing that I'm very grateful that I didn't do was read anything on this before watching. I didn't mm-hmm. even read the little um, like synopsis to catch your eye to watch the movie on HBO. Mm-hmm. I had no idea who was involved. I just knew it was about embezzlement in a school in New York. Mm-hmm. So just the surprise that I felt like a genuine surprise at that scene was nice. Yeah. Cause it's rare anymore to feel surprised about anything that's not life-threatening exactly when i was watching that, i was like what what the fuck <laughs> why is he here and then it kind of put it together so um perfect yeah it was, it, see, and the other huge jackman go ahead i'm sorry uh the other thing i find really poetic is he set the student rachel on the path to <laughs> destroy him more or less saying that oh don't make it a puff piece. Dig as deep as you need to. Be a real journalist. That's what like <laughs> Northwestern wants to see. And then you see him turn around an hour later trying to strong arm this this young girl into not talking at all. Yeah, that was that was a uh, nifty, you know, because she comes to him like, hey, just give me a few quotes on this skywalk. And he's like, no, no, no. Write a good story about it. And then she not digs deep. Thinking. Also, I want to yeah. say that I don't really know any school that truly would need a skywalk just to walk from one side of the building to the other more quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how big this school allegedly was in the movie, but I went to a school with over 5,000 kids in a building built for 2,000. <laughs> and you ran. There was no big to butts about it. They never thought about putting a skywalk. They never put, thought about wadding hallways. Nope. It was uh, you get there or you're late. Yeah. Would you have like five minutes between classes? Yes, five minutes, yeah. and then you would always have just because of the volume of people. People walking in packs is the best way mm-hmm. to describe it, not groups. Packs, and they would basically span the entire width of the hallway, and you either had to quickly maneuver your way through, or shoulder check one of them and pray to God they didn't chase you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they definitely um, 
played up the fact that that skywalk was useless not useless i mean obviously it's an i'm sure it would be of use but not necessary is what i should say unnecessary i uh, one of my notes is that I, I i liked how they showed the school as in dire need of like actual investment they had like leaks in the ceilings i think the the fax machine wasn't working or the the copier i should say like they, they showed things that the school should actually invest money in instead of the skywalk or uh the embezzlement where uh frank was stealing money i also think it was implied heavily that frank was paying for those um plastic surgeries with the money from the school that he stole oh for sure there's it's i don't think a superintendent's salary really can afford that I yeah mean, i don't know what he was getting paid especially but yeah. 2002 plastic surgery in vegas mm-hmm. um the other thing i found interesting was it also showed how complacency can be your downfall with um pam's character mm-hmm. because they said that she's been running this for 10 years plus and then it eventually got to the point where she gave her son who per all indications wasn't exactly the most motivated individual mm-hmm. um the credit card and he decided to go to f- three or four ace hardwares for the the right tile mm-hmm. and then when um rachel and her father are digging through the um list of contractors that the schools use and they come across an hg consulting call the number and it's pam's husband's auto dealer like mm-hmm. hg consulting his name's howard howard gluckin consulting like mm-hmm. oh nice yeah yeah exactly uh, there was also a part where was it uh, Pam's niece? Uh, was it her niece? But yes. yeah, so her niece was like, "Hey, you know, the new PlayStation is out, and I want to get my son or my children something nice for Christmas, and you know, and bills are tough, etc. Can you just help me out?" And so Pam's Pam puts it on the card or the school card, or she gives her the school card. Yeah, after it's covered, and then the niece decides to also go shopping for everybody else and spends like $1,200. Yeah. Of school. Yeah. I liked how in the scene where her niece is like, yeah, so I didn't just buy the PlayStation. I also went to, um, it was like, it was like Nordstrom or something. Like I went to mm-hmm. this Nordstrom and bought some jewelry and I went here and bought this. And then later on when the niece, whose name is Jenny, when Jenny tries to blackmail, uh, Frank, Frank is like, hmm, where'd you get that jewelry? Was it like Nordstrom? You know, that looks really new sort of thing. <laughs> just just showing how, again, Frank is like, he's a master manipulator. He knows how to get himself out of every all these bad situations. And he did this, like the smart thing that he should have done to cover up is send her somewhere else in the building, not fire her. Mm-hmm. If she got fired, she has nothing to lose. Exactly. Yes. So yeah. you throw her in the basement, you make her hide, you make her feel like nothing, so that way she won't speak mm-hmm. and he more or less got what he wanted until the fed showed up yeah yep so the other the other thing too we kind of talked about uh briefly in your intro was uh that frank is um well so frank has a he talks about that he has a deceased wife who's been dead for 20 plus years mm-hmm. and he really hides the fact that he's a, a married gay man but frank also has uh like adulterous relationships with his former student uh, who he meets in, was that in Vegas? That's in Vegas. He, yeah. So he, yeah, it's like you said, he ran into a student at a bar that was in Vegas and he ends up uh, pursuing a, a long-term relationship and buying a house with him. Mm-hmm. So it was just, Frank had like this web of 
kind of um, uh, deceit for everybody, all aspects of his life, his job, his husband, his boyfriend. Like, it, it's just nuts. It definitely showed how charismatic Frank Tassone was. The fact mm-hmm. that he was able to have a stock photo of a sad bride on his work desk. Everyone believed that she was an actual person who passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this is actually like the one point that I was kind of like, a, I didn't exactly like about the film. It f- felt forced at first with the res- relationship for Frank and Kyle. It mm-hmm. was almost completely out of left field. It didn't really, for me, fit the narrative at that time. It took till the end of the film to get payoff when the feds show Frank's husband a picture of Frank and Kyle standing in front of the house he bought for Kyle. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I actually I had the same feeling, too, when watching it. I was like, oh, this is just a, another wrinkle in Frank's character at the time, not really thinking anything more of it. And then and then later on, it's obviously revealed that Frank is obvious, is a married man currently. So uh, that, that's just you're right. You're absolutely right. And the cover up part wasn't the thing that got to me because it was 2002. It's not as widely accepted then as it is now. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Um, but the levels to which he went to hide every aspect of his real life other than his name. Mm-hmm. was actually quite impressive mm-hmm. so it, it does blow my mind that this obviously is a true story but the newspaper uh the student rachel she's the first one who breaks the story on on this uh big embezzlement scheme uh in in real life it wasn't just one student i think there was a couple I was reading about the couple that actually kind of broke the story, but the school's newspaper is the first one to break this story. And then like the New York times got, or the Washington post, like some big newspaper kind of picked it up and ran with it more. Well, that actually kind of made me laugh while watching it is because they published the paper and it was an immediate indictment. Like they took the student's word immediately. And then like, it was that that set off the feds to come and investigate. It was a student mm-hmm. written paper, which if that happened now, I doubt we would even get a phone call back. <laughs> mm-hmm. I uh, I thought the the kid, the actor, I should say, that was playing Pam's son was uh, hilarious. <laughs> he just played it really. He played like a dumb oaf kind of guy. And it was just uh, I thought that was really funny in a movie that's serious. I, I had a little chuckle at his when she like tackles him on the stairs in his house or something like that. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, it was just the, it, it gave an air of someone who always got everything and didn't have to try. Yeah. And yes. Even then, like he didn't have to get a job. She just gave him a credit card and said, Hey, go fix up the house. Mm-hmm. And then the daughter also made me laugh. She's like, what did you do? <laughs> and then uh, Pam admits what she did. She stole a lot of money, uh, paid, needed the best college, needed braces, all this. And just the reaction is, I'm going to throw up. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Also, you did mention this as well, where uh, Frank kind of talks to Rachel, the student, as sort of like a, hey, maybe you shouldn't publish this. Mm-hmm. And he like he threatens letters of recommendation for her for college. So he's like, hey, maybe like Northwestern, what do you think they would say if, uh, you know, I suggested that you shouldn't go there? It's just another kind of notch in the evil doings of of frank uh 
in an attempt to cover this all up. And then, like, in that situation, like, say for some whatever reason he's going through, get a recommendation from somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The one part that actually really moved me was, weirdly enough, the ending. Uh, Starting with the scene where the mother is trying to get her son into the gifted program. Mm -hmm. And he can't read the paragraph that his mother obviously wrote for him mm-hmm. um which a speaks to the fact that sometimes parents are blinded to the fact that they want the best for their kids on the surface but they're not giving them what they need so that kid obviously needed some reading support learning support but she felt for him to be competitive he needed to be in that gifted program the school district offered yeah yeah and then he more or less tells the mom to be quiet just to shut up mm-hmm. stop talking you don't know what you're talking about. Trust the people who do know what they're talking about. Like maybe that teacher's not being mean. Maybe you're just trying to push your kid beyond his limits. Yeah. And then he's like, did you forget about all these teachers that you've had who showed you culture, who made you who you are? And then you still speak to us like we're dirt, mm-hmm. which is true. Yeah. Yeah. So I have uh, friends who are teachers right now, uh, high school teachers. And when I asked, uh, asked him about it, uh, he said that was like, uh, his favorite scene in the movie or like how he feels, how he, what he wishes he could say to, to parents really um, just the, the fact that your kid's not special. <laughs> like, like to be as a, as a mean way to put it, your kid's not special, you know? And at the same time, like I went through five years of education training in college to be mm-hmm. a teacher paths diverged, but these are all things that like I even experienced in my um observations and uh internships where a parent thought their student was further ahead than they were Mm -hmm. and they were willing to sign affidavits and anything saying that their kid can do it and the child usually suffers yeah oh yeah so i i thought it was interesting to kind of add this monologue into the movie um just Interesting in a sense that it was a movie about a superintendent embezzling some money, but at the same time throw a like a pro teacher mm-hmm. sort of monologue in it, uh, almost to, to contrast uh, what was really happening. And then in the end, they kind of throw it in his face, like f- because so obviously he ends up in prison. Mm-hmm. He's his face is sunken because he can't get his surgeries. He's making cosmetics out of, I think it was cinnamon. And mm-hmm. then there's a scene where he walks out of the like common area and he's in his head back in the hallways of the school listening to um, Ray Romano's character saying how they reached to be the number one school. And the way I took that was it's him realizing that they could have reached the goal he had the whole time if he didn't steal the money. It was that realization like, oh, crap, I could have actually done this, but because I did this, I'm in jail. Yeah, I interesting. Um, I, I took it as him just kind of wishing he, he wouldn't have gotten caught and got stuck it out because his goal in the beginning of the movie was to become move from the number four school in the States to number one. So in the end, in the end, fantasizes about being the, being the number one, like what if sort of deal. So, um, I mean, great, great, great interpretation of that. I it's something to think about. Um, yeah, I took it because he smiled at first, and then it was like horror, almost. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
I gotcha. But overall, I thought it was an, a really good movie. It was an enjoyable watch. It wasn't three hours long like everything is anymore. <laughs> yeah. And it was just a comfortable viewing experience, and I, I really enjoyed it. Oh yeah, I I want to say uh, I mean we've Hugh Jackman great. I I hope he gets nominated for uh, an award for this movie because his acting was seriously that good. Uh, Allison Janney was really good as uh, as Pam the uh, secretary, and then uh, the other one I thought was really good was um, I'm looking at her name and I'm gonna mispronounce it, but her name is Geraldine Viswanathan. Uh, mm-hmm. The girl who plays Rachel. Rachel. Um, yeah, she was excellent she like for kind of like a i don't want to say she's unknown but an actress that really hasn't done a lot she really good really freaking good in this movie yeah she has a definitely has a future and i hope to see her in f- further things because uh she sold it and yeah hard to do at that age exactly and uh also i hope we have a ray romano since <laughs> you know because he was doing he, he he played in this movie really well he acted really well there was some things I thought the, as far as like a technical standpoint, like some of the cinematography was really good. Some shots were like really nice shots. I just noticed like, oh, that looks really nice, uh, you know. But agreed, and like a lot of the dark scenes that you have, like with um, Frank and Kyle in a nightclub, or Frank just sitting <laughs> in his car. Typically, typically, like when it's just an average filming, it will get washed out. But it was mm-hmm. defined. It was, it was just a gorgeous movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I want to say, like, the main theme of this movie was just putting up the like a facade. So uh, the facade of what you present to people versus what you who you actually are. So especially with Hugh Jackman, I mean, literally physically, he gets he gets uh, plastic surgery. He you know, tries to put up this nice persona when he's actually kind of a master manipulator. He also hides the fact that he's a he's a married gay man uh, by telling people they had a wife that passed away. Again, granted, it was 2002, so obviously it's not as widely accepted as it is now. But really, that, that just kind of adds to the themes of really uh, putting putting out a public persona versus who you really are. Uh, and I thought that was nifty, I guess, <laughs> is my point there. Yeah. And for me, it was how far can you take something before it blows up in your face? Yes, yes. Yeah. And oh, that's a, yes, correct. Because Hugh Jackman, well, Frank really keeps it going the whole time, uh, all the way up until literally until he gets arrested. Uh, he kept up the, the, the whole, like, how far can I take this embezzlement thing? Exactly. It's perfect. Do you uh, have anything else you want to say about this movie? Um, no, it was just, I hope they make more movies like this. Yeah. It's it's a good like story I've, ne- I've never heard of before. I mean, it's literally the largest embezzlement scandal in public school history, and I never heard of it before. Uh, this was a good good topic, good thing to, good thing to show. Uh, if you were to give it a number rating, what would you uh, kind of give it? I would give it an 8.5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, I'm 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 pretty much the same around an eight eight, eight out of ten. Um, if they kept the accents up the whole time, it would have been a ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that was uh, the Long Island accent was sometimes sketch, but you know, 
they tried. I think Allison Janney's was pretty good. No, no, her niece was really good. That one I was like laughing. It was almost a caricature. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would give it an eight out of ten. Um, I don't think I have. Oh, the the thing. I, one note I have is that the the guy who wrote this film, his name is Mike Makowski. He went to Roslyn. Uh, and was a student during this time. So he was in middle school. So, I mean, he wasn't, obviously, he wasn't in the loop or anything, but he was a middle schooler who went there and then grew up to become a screenwriter. And uh, I was just reading some notes that he originally intended for Frank to be a flat, straight villain, like just a straightforward, he's the bad guy. But after talking with uh, former staff and people that work with him, that he wasn't like that. Frank wasn't like that at all. He was a just a nice. Everybody thought he was a nice and great guy, so that's why they made the choice to show Frank as more nuanced than a straightforward villain. So and that was definitely the right call. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, easily. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I know we just spoiled the shit out of it, but go see it if you haven't seen it. <laughs> nice. So, uh, the movie I suggested was a movie called Whiplash, which came out in 2014. Uh, which is fan-fucking-tastic. Um, a really fucking good movie. <laughs> um, so quick synopsis is that uh, you have a, a student named Andrew Neiman who is a freshman at a university called Schaefer Conservatory, which is not a real uh, university, but it's um, uh, a prestigious uh, music and jazz uh, school in New York City. So he's a freshman there and he plays the drums uh, and he's always aspired to kind of be a very successful drummer, world-class drummer, specifically like Buddy Rich, they mention all the time. And he learns this whole time by like listening to records of good drummers and kind of repeating it back and playing it. So he gets into this school and uh, while there, he comes under the tutelage of a man named Terrence Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons. Uh, masterfully played by J.K. Simmons, who invites him into a studio band, which is sort of a competing jazz band. Uh, in in while there, Fletcher just pushes, just pushes every student to the maximum, really, uh, through the like great students, assaults them, really, really just pushes pushes them to try to try to be their best. Uses uses really awful tactics and and really really bad tactics. Uh, Andrew, uh, Andrew uh, is uh, his, his kind of his, kind of his pet target, target uh, at the moment. So, so the movie is about Andrew, Andrew trying to reconcile being a good drummer, learning under Fletcher, and um, becoming the best he can. And then it it's it's, it's just good. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have anything more to add for for a plot? Um, for me, J.K. Simmons is always a win. Uh, won <laughs> yeah. the Academy Award for Best Actor in Supporting Role for it. Yeah, he's so good in this movie. Um, I really don't have anything ads plot-wise. Yeah, so uh, the movie starts off immediate opening. The opening shot is Andrew practicing. He's practicing in uh, studio, just practicing his drums. And uh, J.K. Simmons, Fletcher, he walks in. The camera quick, quick, quick shoots over to J.K. Simmons. And uh, Andrew stops playing and goes, oh, sorry. And then Fletcher says, did I ask you to stop playing? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. He goes, why'd you stop playing? And then so Andrew starts playing again. 
And then Fletcher says, did I ask you to, to start playing? I asked you why you stopped. And your response is to act like a wound up monkey. What's going on? And then he walks out. Like that's just to show you kind of the depraved depth of what an asshole uh, Fletcher is. There's some quotes I wrote down from him. Uh, he tells a trumpet player, uh, that's not your boyfriend's dick. Don't come early. <laughs> that's that's uh that's something so it's amazing yeah yeah so when when he first discovers andrew practicing uh andrew is currently playing in like a lower band in the school uh like a lower jazz band so fletcher's jazz band is kind of the pinnacle while andrew is playing in in a, in a lower band and he is not even the first chair drummer he's the, the alternate and there's immediately there's uh, some chatter. Uh, a student, another student says, things are hurting with Neiman on the kits, meaning like Andrew's not that, he's good, but not that good. He's maybe a student, what I gathered from it was maybe a student that kind of, like, like I said, he learned on his own and he never had formal teaching and then got into this school. And so kind of the, the raw talent won't carry you. You have to really uh, be taught and practice more. And so I think that's, the main theme for Andrew is is kind of rising up to become the best best player he can can be. Um, the first scene where so the scene in the end in the beginning when uh, Fletcher kind of recruits Andrew, he tells him uh, come to this room at six a.m. and don't be late. And Andrew wakes up at six o three. Uh, and he rushes to the room and no one is there. It's like 6.15 and he sits there by himself and he sits there until 9 a.m. when the band actually shows up. So that just, again, shows you what kind of a, an asshole that Fletcher is. Uh, and it's 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 nuts. I guess, I, guess, I guess I should ask, what did you think of this movie? What did you... Give me your thoughts on it. I enjoyed it. It's a very extreme dramatized version of what the music world really is yeah um but it plays off of it's over the top but is believable like you think oh these musicians need to be the best they're gonna have a hard ass like fletcher beating them over the head constantly every day to make them the best they possibly can be granted everything has its moments where things blow up and people get at each other but it's never really to that extreme where you're in someone's face screaming because also at that collegiate level, you're adults. Yeah. Um, he's not your he's not your own child, which you even shouldn't be yelling at them like that. Mm -hmm. But um, overall, I love the movie. Um, they did their best to get the music as close to right as they could like the physics mm -hmm. of everything going on, like 90% of the playing you see on screen is actually Miles Teller playing yeah. drums. Yeah, he learned how to play those drums, which is insane. <laughs> the problem is everything you hear isn't him playing. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point it was, do you sacrifice the music for great acting or do you sacrifice acting for great music? Yeah, I, what that was one of my notes is that there were some times where I, when he was playing, I could tell that the music playing wasn't what he was physically doing, just only occasionally. Um, 
and I'm not talking about times when it was on purpose. I mean, like him just playing. Sometimes I could tell. And that's actually the same with some other instruments. So backstory uh, for our wonderful listeners, all 10 of you, uh, both Ryan and I were in music programs, both in high school and college. Um, so I played the trombone, was not that serious. Uh, so there was occasionally sometimes when I noticed a trombone player was playing something. I'm like, that's not the note that's on. That's not the note that's happening. But I came from a highly competitive music uh, scene in high school Mm -hmm. where perfection was something you strive for every day um so that the some of the scenes where um fletcher is digging into neiman is actually things i experienced i witnessed it happen to somebody else and have been on the receiving end um specifically uh the high school i went to was very competitive in the indoor drumline marching circuit uh, competed nationally yeah. and my first year doing it, I was the chubby kid on the floor and I had a shoe thrown at me by the lead drum instructor because I was not moving my feet fast enough. Yeah. And yeah. He was screaming, jumping, yelling, got in my face. And then I got better, never had an issue again, but it wasn't pervasive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is certainly the I want to talk more about the movie, but the theme itself of this movie is definitely uh, trying to get the best out of the players, the musicians, mm-hmm. by any means necessary. And whether that's whether that comes true or not in this movie, we'll talk about it. But that's definitely the theme. So think think of that when when we continue talking about this movie, uh, you know, keep that in the back of your head. Listener, <laughs> um, there, there was a, a part where I want to talk about where he. In like the very first time Andrew goes to the studio band to kind of sit there and observe. Well, not observe. He's a second chair, but he's he's not playing himself. He's just sitting there. Uh, Fletcher goes, someone's out of tune. Um, he has people play. goes, someone's out of tune. You can, if you're out of tune, you can say it right now. It'll be fine. And then no one says anything. And then he goes, well, someone's trying to, either you don't know you're out of tune, which means you're dumb, or you're trying to deliberately sabotage my band. So which is it? And so he goes individually and points out a person who is uh, a little on the heavier side. And he he yells at him and goes, "Uh, you play. He plays and goes, now, (laughs) were you out of tune? And the kid starts looking down and crying and goes, there's no fucking Mars bar down there. Look at me, not down there. And he, he yells at him. He yells at him about his weight. He calls him he calls him like a fat fuck or something like that. And the kid starts crying. And then he's like, get the fuck out. Like, leave. And the kid storms out weeping, crying. And then Fletcher goes, you know what? He wasn't even the one that was out of tune. It was actually other trombone player. But he didn't know that. He didn't know the difference. So that's why he was cut. That's absolutely insane. Uh, everything uh, Fletcher does in this movie is to the next degree Mm-hmm. Even the story he provides Neiman over why he pushes people. Um, it was a story about Charlie Parker mm-hmm. uh, sitting in on a jam session. And mind you, that story in essence is true. Charlie Parker did sit in on a jam session and the drummer was not happy, Joe Jones. And no, he did not throw a symbol at Charlie Parker's head trying to decapitate him. In real life, what he did was he just dropped the symbol and said, come back when you're ready. Like, so it just shows everything that Fletcher does is to the next level extreme over the top just to justify himself. 
Yeah. So so Fletcher tells this story twice in the movie. In the beginning, when Andrew sort of just begins studio band, and then a little towards the end, which we'll get to. But he tells a story that Charlie Parker, who, if nobody knows, is a saxophonist, and yeah. he is from the 30s or like the Count Basie era of jazz. And so the story that Fletcher tells is that Charlie Parker stood up to give a solo and really fucked it up. And Joe Jones threw a cymbal at his head, nearly decapitating him. And he gets laughed, laughed out of practice and humiliated. And then Charlie Parker instead dedicates his time to practicing harder and harder and harder. And then a year later, he comes back and gives a solo. And it's one of the most amazing, wonderful saxophone solos anyone's ever heard. Charlie Parker becomes... Uh, one of the best sax sax players of his era. His stage name is Bird, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And the rest is history. This is Charlie Parker is obviously a real person. This has really happened. Uh, to not this really happened, but Charlie Parker is a real person. Joe Jones is a real person. So this story that Park, uh, Fletcher is basing this off of is real. So he tells this story in the very beginning um, to Fletcher. I'm sorry, to Andrew. And oh man, one of this. The insanity that Fletcher is in the beginning, he asks Andrew, like, oh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Any musicians in your family? And Andrew's like, no, my dad's a writer. Well, actually, you know, he teaches uh, high school. My mom walked out on me uh, when I was a baby. You know, no musicians in my family. So I'm just trying to try my hardest. And then after after that, they go back in and Fletcher has him start to play. And he's like, oh, just do your best. You know, I know it's your first time. Just, just, just try. And that turns into... Yeah, not my tempo. Are you, you know, are you the the famous, are you rushing or are you dragging? Where he just, he berates Andrew, screams at him. He's like, mommy left your dad because he's no, he's a terrible fucking writer. And here you are thinking you're the next fucking buddy rich, you, you piece of shit. And he starts slapping him. He, uh, Fletcher starts slapping him in the face. Um, and then gets him to, as Fletcher starts, uh, I'm sorry, as Andrew starts crying, he has Andrew yell, I'm upset to the entire band. And then that, like, that's any sane person would have just quit. Like, that's. Yeah, you could have just walked out. Yeah, so exactly. So I think not only is Fletcher kind of flawed in his thinking, we're taking everything to nth degree. But in my opinion, Andrew is also kind of a flawed character, too, and that Andrew, um, despite distinct abuse still uh wants to kind of keep keep it going i i I don't know what what did you think of that it's like you're saying like fletcher takes everything to the nth degree um neiman could have walked out at any point Mm -hmm. and also the fact that he idolized buddy rich for those Mm -hmm. who aren't really musically savvy uh he's uh popular because he was big on to like the night show circuit. So he was on Johnny Carson a lot. He was a public face, but he wasn't exactly a good jazz drummer. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that he idolized him instead of someone newer, especially because it is set in 2014 is kind of off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even beyond that, just showing how messed up Fletcher is. There's a scene where he's asking Neiman to count off a tempo at 215 beats a minute and just have him go <laughs> one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. The crazy part is, because I'm a music nerd, Miles Teller, when he did that, was incredibly close to 215. <laughs> and and Fletcher freaks out. Like, I brought, I've, again, brought out a metronome. Miles Teller was counting off at 212 beats a minute. 
<laughs> and it was asked at 215 and that fast it's a hair difference it's, it's almost unnoticeable and if you have a music background you know that it's not the drummer's job always to count off it's mm-hmm. the director's job to set the tempo and mm-hmm. the drummer to keep it mm-hmm. and then I don't really know any human being that can ballpark a time perfectly because that's just not a skill that's necessary mm-hmm. in real world. Uh, I, I do side note while I'm thinking about it. I do want to point out that when Fletcher counted off to the, the studio band, he did it instead of like a big, large exaggerate, exaggerated movements with his hands, like one normally would do. He did it with like a slight wrist flick. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a, when I was in high school, we did a county band where best musicians from each school in the county kind of came together to perform a concert. And there was one teacher from another school district that did that, where it was a, he counted off with this tiny flick, like the tiniest flick of his wrist. Didn't use a baton or anything, just a one, two, three, like really tiny. I hated it back then, and I hated it when Fletcher did it. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it was for me, the little wrist flick to start. It mm-hmm. got more exaggerated as uh, the feel was established and the groove, but just if you weren't on it, you were, you were mm-hmm. screwed. Yeah. So I want to point out later on. So later, uh, Andrew is still in this uh, studio band and he's um, still kind of the second chair. He's not the core member. And they go to do a performance and the first half of the performance is done. And, Fletcher makes this big show that if anybody, if I see one of these fucking folders lying around, I'm not going to be happy. Uh, I'm going to stop being nice. And then so Andrew goes to uh, a soda machine. He sets the folder down on a chair, puts money in, gets a soda out, turns to look at people talking. And then the other drummer comes up and is like, hey, man, I want to review this music quick. Turns his head back to the chair where the folder was and the folder's missing. And I wanted to know uh, if you thought that Fletcher maybe stole it. Oh, uh, definitely. That that was my gut feeling right away. Um, that scene actually gave me PTSD, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I have been in the room where people got berated for leaving music loosely around or just a folder in a miscellaneous spot. And that's just not okay. Mm-hmm. But I think Fletcher did it on purpose. Either A, to get rid of of the drummer that he had originally Mm -hmm. because it then went to where's the folder oh you don't have it okay do you know the music no do you yeah cool like that exchange i think he did it just i think he followed him to the machine knew he'd look away and just to be an ass yeah yeah exactly exactly so the first so after this uh andrew Becomes a core player, like the first chair drummer, because he knows the song, which is called Whiplash, by heart, because he's been practicing this whole time. The montages of, oh man, I would say, the montages of Andrew practicing are so fucking tense, where he's like, he's literally just drumming, where he's, there's sweat pouring off him, he's screaming in pain because his hands are blistering and bleeding, there's like blood on the drum set, because he's practicing that aggressively to try to be a better player so uh there's that so that's why andrew knows the song by heart because that's what he's been doing this whole time so uh i i want to ask you well first after this scene uh, andrew then goes back home and has like a, a family dinner 
uh, with his dad and um, several, I guess, his cousins and stuff. And his one cousin is a quarterback. And so the family sort of fawns all over uh, all over his cousin. And then Andrew's like, they're like, oh, well, Andrew, you've got your uh, no, they call him Andy. Andy, you've got your uh, drumming thing going on, right? Uh, what did you think of, of that scene? It's it rings true. Um, I come from a family that didn't have a lot of musicians at all. Mm-hmm. I'm the main one. Um, and it's just people not understanding what it means to somebody. Mm-hmm. Just sit there for hours and hours dedicating yourself to one singular thing that you may perform once. You may perform it 15 times. It's just putting all of your heart and soul into something and just not being able to express that and share that when like, for example, like you said, the cousin's a quarterback that is infinitely more relatable because you see the work in action because Mm -hmm. it's big plays, throwing the ball down the field, handing it off as compared to little nuancey things like uh, the way that he moves his stick across the drum and to hit a cymbal just things that they can't see and that just doesn't register in their heads as important. Oh yeah. I, yes. You hit the nail on the head. And I liked how Andrew shut it down. <laughs> he basically does like dude, you're a D three quarterback. Like it's not even division two. You're not even that good. First, uh, we both went to a D two school, so I hate the slander on D two. <laughs> Go Huskies. Uh, and second, Andrew sort of reveals his philosophy, like his way of thinking, when he says that he'd rather die at the age of thirty four with everyone knowing his name than being ninety years old and forgotten. And so that's Andrew's main motivation is to become a famous and world renowned drummer. And so that sort of hints at what his character is. Hendrix. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's such a, I think for Andrew, that's obviously becoming a better drummer is a good goal to have. But for him, it's almost to a detriment to his entire, the rest of his life. I mean, there's a a side care, a side plot where he meets a girl and he kind of asks her out, but it really only shows them on one date and then uh, like a text conversation. And then he dumps her. And when he dumps her, he says um, like, I don't want you to hold me back from my dreams, essentially. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was completely out of left field. She did not deserve that whatsoever. Yeah, yeah so um, Fletcher uh, brings in another drummer. Uh, so now there's going to be three drummers. There's the guy who was originally in Studio Band, who Andrew replaced, Andrew, and then a, a third guy. And they all, they all uh, kind of compete. And then the third guy plays... One song, Caravan, which I have played in high school myself. Not not this arrangement, but I've played Caravan personally. Um, and then the other guy kind of wins the job out because he was able to practice longer. Literally, what happens is in the morning, at like in the morning, Fletcher gives this guy the sheet music, and then waits to the very end of practice and brings the guy in, gives Andrew the sheet music, and goes, "Oh yeah, you go practice." Like I wanted to have a competition to see who's better. So that. Uh, infuriates Andrew sort of kind of again motivates him more I think yeah it's I think for Fletcher it's just misplaced care at that point it's I want to make you the best you possibly can be because you say you want to be the best so sight read Mm -hmm. yeah work on that like if you don't want to lose your spot you should be able to read this right away it wasn't approached the best way but I understand that piece Mm -hmm. yeah sure fair but Fletcher's just again he takes everything to the nth degree it's just always to the extreme um 
they they have a sequence where they're playing Caravan, and that's the song that is that the song that's at the two hundred and was it two hundred twenty uh, tempo? It's two fifteen. Two fifty. It's really it's fast. Yeah. And then he has all three drummers. He literally starts practice by going, "All right, you play at this tempo. Eh, not my tempo. Next drummer, you play this tempo. Mm, not not exactly my tempo." And then he does it for all three, and then. He has them keep on doing it until one of them can play that tempo. And it's hours, hours later, like into the, in, into the middle of the night where Andrew kind of wins the job because he pushes himself physically to play that real fast uh, double time tempo. And to be perfectly honest, if I was a sax player sitting there watching that for hours, I would be pissed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Fletcher does this thing where he's like, mm, guys, why don't you guys take like 10, 20? Hell, take a whole fucking hour. I don't care because these guys aren't getting it. So <laughs> I mean, even at that point, you're still worried that he's going to call the band back and you're going to be at Starbucks. Uh, yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, so after this, after this sequence, uh, Andrew wins the, the starting job again, playing the song Caravan. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a point that I want to bring up that happens earlier. Fletcher tells a story of how six years ago he had a trumpet player named Sean Casey who showed up to the, the university and he was um, not great. He was kind of bad. All the other instructors were like, why are you even here? What's what's the point? And so Fletcher saw greatness in him, as he says, and grabs Sean Casey, puts him in the uh, the studio band and really pushes him. And eventually, Sean Casey becomes a second chair at the Lincoln Center, uh, which mm-hmm. is pretty prestigious after graduating in the, from the university, and becomes then the first chair a year later, which is extremely prestigious. And Fletcher breaks the news that Sean Casey ended up dying in a car accident. So keep that in the back. Yeah, keep 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 that in your back pocket. Um, so Andrew wins the starting job. Uh, as the the first first chair drummer and they go to play a show and due to a bus car breaking a bus blowing a tire uh andrew shows up late and he ends up forgetting his drumsticks at a car rental place because he goes to rent a car so he can make the performance on time and fletcher freaks out says like if you're not here at 5 30 sharp i'm giving it to the other person Andrew's like, no, this is my, I earned this role. Like, what are you doing? This is my role. Fletcher's like, no, it's my role. I'm just giving it to you. And Andrew ends up getting in a car accident, literally flips his car, gets into a car accident, rushing to go get his sticks. And literally he's bleeding everywhere. He runs from the the car accident scene back to the performance, just ditches the whole accident just to play. And he's bleeding all over the drum set. Mm-hmm. That just goes to show you the the the, the psychological impact uh, that Fletcher has on Andrew right right now. Uh, Andrew's mind space is to he needs to perform no matter what. He needs to uh, kind of be there. So now I have a question for you off this scene. So mm-hmm. you're Fletcher. You see mm-hmm. Neiman walk on stage bloodied. Obviously something happened. Are you letting him play because you feel that he can do it? Or are you letting him play so he can ruin his career? Oh, that's a great question. Um, because obviously Andrew shows up and Fletcher's like, okay. And they go and Andrew's like fault, like barely able to, he's bleeding everywhere. He can't even hold his drumsticks. Um, damn, that's a good question. Maybe I think, I think Fletcher is hoping this is that buddy rich moment mm-hmm. where 
uh, Neiman can, Andrew can kind of reach that, the pinnacle that he wants. So I think in Fletcher's mind, like this is the moment where, that I've been waiting for, this is the make or break for Andrew. And what happens is Andrew ends up passing out because like, he like can't keep playing the whole time. He ends up passing out and out of frustration, Andrew tackles Fletcher on stage and starts punching him in the face. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a good time for me to bring up my hottest of takes on this movie. Oh, go for it. So you mentioned the cousin being a quarterback Mm -hmm. and the story about the trumpet player going to play Lincoln hall and with Wynton Marsalis and all that. Mm -hmm. And bringing up that third drummer for competition. To me, this was a sports movie that used music instead of sports. Because <laughs> uh, there's a hierarchy. It's pure competition. Like, never in a million years will you see a backup drummer sitting next to the actual drummer on stage during a performance. Yeah. He, he's, are... he's there to flip, flip music. That's what he's yeah. there to do. And in theory, drummers can do that on their own. Mm -hmm. It does happen occasionally with longer charts, but... No. And then they use chairs as status at the collegiate level. Like you're not really gunning for a first chair because you want first chair. Like you specialize. Mm -hmm. And also no director is going to over overstaff something. They're only going to take the number of drummers they need to complete a set. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he had alternates and extra people, no, you just throw the other drummer and use for a different song because different drummers have different styles, different grooves. It was just pure competition. Be the best. How are you going to get there? I'm going to push you as hard as I can, like a hard-nosed football coach. Hmm. That's... That was, that's my take on that. It's just, it's a, literally a sports movie, all the tropes, just through music instead of a football. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. I uh, I didn't think of, think of that. And, and I, I kind of agree because, you know, obviously we both played – music at the collegiate level which was nowhere near as intense as this no uh nowhere near at all but you know that you're right that that stuff didn't happen even even the ensembles uh, at our university that was more serious uh like wind ensemble maybe or uh, some of the other ones they still didn't have that sort of intense competition i mean the, really it was our music band director that kind of picked the chairs it wasn't really that sort of uh intense competition so you're gonna play this you're gonna like it and move on yeah exactly exactly and the other thing too is that uh fletcher pushes the music on the players instead of pushing picking music that fits the musician's talent level mm -hmm. um so i i remember in college once we had a song that was kind of really hard and not a lot of people some people couldn't play it so we switched switched out switched that piece out for something else uh yeah. It's knowing the tools you have and if you're able to accomplish it. Yeah, exactly. So um, to keep the plot moving a little bit, after Andrew tackles Fletcher on stage and punches him in the face, he ends up getting expelled from the university uh, he's at. And a lawyer approaches him and reveals that that trumpet player, the, um, the, the trumpet player, Sean Casey, that Fletcher had said died in a car accident, had actually hanged himself. Uh, due to anxiety and depression that stemmed from his uh, his time when he was in studio band under Fletcher. So the lawyer asked him, asked Andrew sort of to give an anonymous, just write a statement anonymously about how Fletcher is emotionally abusive and goes too far. And so Andrew does that. Uh, he, he gives that statement and 
is kind of sad at this moment. There's scenes of him watching videos of him as a child playing the drums, sort of, sort of remembering like what his dream is. And uh, he's like crying. Like it, you sort of feel like in this moment, Andrew is devastated because his dream is dead because he's been kicked out of university. Um, yeah. So later on, uh, sometime later, Andrew goes to uh, sees a sign for a jazz bar where it shows a performer and featuring Terrence Fletcher, who is, you know, obviously his teacher. And he goes to go see the performance and uh, Fletcher is playing the piano and they lock eyes on stage. And Andrew's like, Oop, gotta go. He turns to leave and Fletcher kind of like, Andrew, come here. And they have a conversation at the bar. One was nifty because Andrew is 19 years old. They said in the movie, he's 19 years old and he has an alcoholic drink at the bar. So there's a nitpick, but (laughs) uh it, to the fletcher reiterates that story of uh charlie parker again the and sort of this is where fletcher gives his philosophy his like everything i do i do so i can push my students to be the best they can be and he goes honestly i've never had a charlie parker in as a teacher i've always wanted it i've always wanted that student to rise above the the in, intense pushing that i give and be the best they can be and i've never had it um, so yeah, I guess to, to kind of take a pause, cause I've been talking for a while. Uh, what do you think of this, this whole bit? This is, this is Fletcher's philosophy. Yeah, it's, I mean, I get it. Push people beyond what they believe they can do and they'll be incredibly happy when they reach the, where you want them to be. Um, I also find it funny that he's playing elementary school jazz when he walks into the club. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm pretty sure we can train anybody who's never touched a piano before to play that in three hours mm-hmm. um but the philosophy is like okay if you've never had that and you've been teaching for such a long time some self-evaluation change your style yeah like, he says like oh I, I i've made some enemies and then andrew laughs about it but the go ahead you know it's it just shows how shallow fletcher is mm-hmm. like, exactly and it, it was about him in that moment. Yeah. It wasn't about the people he was serving. It was, I always tried to get that Charlie Parker. I always tried. To, mm. I wanted to be that Joe Jones character. I wanted to throw the symbol at someone's head and have them be the best person after that. But Joe Jones threw the symbol once. Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't stand there and beat Charlie Parker over the head with the symbol. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I, I wrote down, uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but Fletcher says in this moment, he goes, now, what if, what if Charlie Parker was told it's okay, just try harder next time after he fucked up that solo? He goes, no, no, no. Then, then what would happen? Would he become Charlie Parker? And he says, there are no two words more harmful in the English language than good job. And he goes, because it's, there's never a good job. You can always do better. And then Andrew asks him directly, is there a line? Like, don't you think you could ever go too far? And Fletcher says, nope. I, I He says, there is no line. I'll never go too far because the next Charlie Parker wouldn't give up. He would rise to the occasion. So therefore, I have to keep going as hard as I can. So, And he has a student hanging, in a, hanging from it. So, Yeah, like, yeah, literally. Yes. It's just complete short-sightedness of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fletcher is definitely like the most flawed character in this movie, um, but it's it, it, the scene really kind of laid out who he is. So 
After this, uh, Fletcher invites Andrew to play in a pro uh, professional band at the uh, JVC Jazz Festival, which is a real music festival. Um, and he says that they're playing all, oh, they're just playing all the same music that you've played before, you know, Caravan, Whiplash, uh, other stuff that you already know. So, um, you know, you'll be good. Just, you know, the music, you'll be fine. And I, this is where I think Andrew's flaws as a character kind of shine through is that he still agrees. He still says, yes, oh, definitely. That sounds like fun. I'll, yep, I'll do it. And uh, this is towards the end of the movie. And I got to say, this finale um, was one of the most tense, like, edge of my seat things I've seen from a non-action or suspense movie. Like, a movie that wasn't set up to be this sort of thing. It, oh, boy. <laughs> um, I'll get into it. But, like, what did you, uh, I, I guess, just... When's the, uh, yeah, I don't even know what else to say other than kind of describing it. Um, what happens is Andrew agrees and he goes to play this festival and he gets on stage and the music is completely different. So he has different sheet music than what the rest of the band has. has. And Fletcher goes up to him and says, you didn't think I fucking knew it was you? Uh, I, like, I'm going to end you sort of deal. And Andrew has to sort of like freestyle a song and he's really bad at it. Um, so they, they play a song that Andrew does not know. He's never learned. He has no sheet music in front of him. And he kind of tries and fails to to play this play this bit. And then after he's done really just a abysmal play, a performance, Fletcher tells the crowd like, oh, a little kind of improvise, improvisation from the drummer there. I'm sorry about that. And Andrew gets up like just defeated, sad. He goes, he hugs his dad off stage. And then turns around, runs back on stage, and starts playing the song Caravan. Just immediately launches into a drum solo uh, as, a, as his way of saying fuck you to Fletcher. Tells the bassist, I'm going to play Caravan, I'll cue you. And then it does, in fact, turn into that Charlie Parker moment for Fletcher. Where Andrew puts out just a masterclass uh performance like really just blows expectations out of the water for fletcher like just wins his respect his approval whatever and you could see you could see the the moment with fletcher jk simmons plays this scene fucking perfectly where he goes from seething rage to andrew just seething pure boiling hatred he says to him i'm gonna fucking gouge your eyes out as andrew's playing and then andrew goes i'll cue you <laughs> and it and it, that turns into just admiration and uh, this is it. This is my Charlie Parker. This is what all everything I've done up to this moment was right sort of thing. And Andrew gives a 10 minute drum. They play the whole song, but then Andrew gives a 10 minute performance, plays a drum solo. That's um, incredible. And, and then Fletcher smiles at him. They share a, a look, they smile. And then the movies end movie. It's intense. It's, it was edge of my seat. I think if you have not seen this movie, go go on YouTube and look up Whiplash Finale and just watch it. It's so fucking good. Um, what did you think of the ending? It it felt like the uh, like the, what came to my mind when uh, basically he was shoot off the stage was uh, the speech in Rocky Balboa, like the old Rocky, like 
old man Rocky, where he's mm-hmm. like, it's not about how many times you get hit, it's how many times you get hit and get back up. Mm-hmm. And that was like kind of like the moment where um, Neiman runs back on stage, takes over, controls his own future kind of thing, has that Charlie Parker moment. Mm-hmm. And almost like having the mood change with Fletcher, to me, it was again edgier seat intense but it was also like you you knew it was the way they were wrapping up the movie they had to end on a some form of a bright note because you can't just have a movie that's depressing the entire way through i don't know if this is a bright note but we'll get into it i mean it's as bright as that movie got fair um i mean during during andrew's last performance the the camera shows his dad just looking on in horror as his son does this it's in it's insane and that's the the main philosophy i want to talk about is does this validate what fletcher's whole whole teaching style was does this validate fletcher you think oh yeah it's gonna embolden him to do it worse yeah yes yes but i just the whole point of this movie was to show Fletcher being terrible and that he's never succeeded at this whole, like, I want to push my students as far as I can go thing. And then Andrew comes along and he's the perfect, the perfect fit for Fletcher's teaching style in the end and ends up rising to the occasion and just spitting out a performance. That's uh, amazing. Mind blowing. Um, so this, the whole thing to talk about is like, does is, is this uh what does what sort of message is the movie trying to portray? What's the theme of the movie trying to portray? Is actually is this good, or is Andrew actually the flawed one that keeps going back? That's that's something that I've been thinking about. I don't know if I have an answer. The best I could come up with is, it's like it's the never give up thing. You'll reach your goals if you try everything in your power to reach it. But also, how much abuse are you willing to take? Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the best message to send if that was the message that the uh, director was trying to send um, also it's interesting it kind of ties back to bad education like the director that experienced the scandal mm-hmm. and this is loosely based on this director's experience in college as a drummer yeah yeah I, I just, that was one of my notes is that Damien Chazelle who wrote and directed this movie used to play um like jazz jazz he was a jazz drummer mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just like i don't exactly know what he was trying to get across it's it is it the persevere push through everything get through the shit you'll get where you want to be or is it the you're gonna have to take a lot of shit on the way up but when mm-hmm. you can't reach the top you're good but just a level of abuse it's kind of hard to find that endearing Mm-hmm. oh yeah oh yeah i uh let's see i don't know if i have more to talk about movie wise um but i love this movie i think it's fantastic um some some kind of notes i have is that this movie the color palette was yellow as shit there's mm-hmm. so many sets that are just yellow the color is yellow <laughs> i don't know if you noticed that too <laughs> I did, and uh, everything's really dark and muted, kind of uh, pulling a DC D- Zack Snyder, but <laughs> actually doing it successfully. Yeah, yep. Um, uh, cinematography was great. Like, oh, excellent! You, you knew it from the very beginning. Wow, with the scene like you were saying with um, 
uh, Neiman sitting in this practice room right before Fletcher shows up. Just the way the camera approaches him at the drum mm-hmm. set was, it, it was just a, I want to say masterclass because I, I want to say it, but I don't know if I'm the right person because I have <laughs> zero experience in uh, filming and cinematography, but it was a very pleasant viewing experience on that end. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree. Like I, I, I'm, I mean, obviously I know too, I'm not a, you know, director or anything, anything about that, but excellent, excellent cinematography. The scenes of Neiman drumming, like the, the montages of him practicing, perfect. It's, it's so good. The, the editing, the music, uh, obviously the music was a lot of drums and stuff, but it's so tense and so great. Um, and just the, the camera direction, perfect. I mean, where he's bleeding and there's blood on the drum set and he sticks his hand in a bucket of ice water um, or a pitcher of ice water, just ah, it's it's shot really well to convey like actual pain. It's good. It's really good. Um, uh, you mentioned this too, but J.K. Simmons won the Academy Award for this movie uh, for best um, uh, supporting supporting actor, and it was well deserved. He was so fucking good in this movie. Uh, he did. <laughs> they did say that he was extra nice to all the actors and stuff when the camera was off just as <laughs> they try to try to not be an asshole off as well as on camera you know to try to keep bring it back down to earth uh, jk simmons said that uh the movie itself whiplash was nominated for best picture um but it, it lost out to birdman in 2014 which was another excellent movie yeah that yeah, was another excellent movie but it's um you know, that's just to show that this movie was really widely recognized. It also won, like, I think, like, sound mixing and sound design or something, which mm-hmm. uh, is good. Good stuff. Um, Damien Chazelle, the director, he went on to direct La La Land, which he won the Academy Award for Best Director. So, you know, the talent was definitely there. <laughs> and almost best picture for five seconds. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was it? La La Land. Oh, just kidding. It was, what, Nightcrawler? Or not Nightcrawler. I'm sorry. Um moonlight oh what was that oh. movie oh, oh this is awful i can't think of it um I, I can picture the cover but it's okay um so a side note this movie is why i mix when i go to the movie theater i mix raisinets with my popcorn really <laughs> yeah yeah he, he, so in the very beginning he goes and sees a movie with his dad and his dad gets large popcorn and andrew gets raisinets and they mix it in one bag and i was like oh that seems interesting and it's delicious so I personally hate raisinets, but that's not fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, um, do you have, do you have anything, anything else to say about this movie? movie? Uh, I, guess, I guess. Any more additional thoughts? Um, it was expertly done. Uh, the only thing that I wish they had at some points is like even during the training montages, like when he starts to get it. Uh, mm-hmm. I wish they showed like the joy music can bring, because it was it was like it's all pain, suffering get the end result there was really never a payoff in that regard uh yeah you know what that you're you're absolutely right i mean even they go to the one competition and they win they get first place there really isn't any sort of uh sequence after that showing like a any any sort of like good job or anything from any character um i guess the closest thing that comes to it is andrew gets a little um big-headed about it he's he tells people like oh yeah I, i'm you know first chair I'm like a core player in this, you know, prestigious uh, studio band. So that like means something. 
but then that's that's the scene where at the dinner party with his family where they're like, oh well, he's a quarterback, so yep, and no you one know. cares about that accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I agree. They, but I think they were going. Damien Chazelle was going more for the the tense harshness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, if you were to give this movie a number rating, what would you give it? I think it's gonna. I'm gonna stick with the theme of the night. I'm gonna give it an eight. It was. Eight. Really well done. Um, the only thing that kind of drew, took myself out of the experience was um, when you knew a person wasn't actually a musician, because like mm-hmm. most of the band was were actual musicians and they were just airing the parts. But at least you got a semblance of they knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But anytime someone who was playing talked, uh, they were not a musician; they were an actor mm-hmm. because you have to be part of the Screen Actors Guild. And there was a scene with the one bass player and he's like, he says to um, Neiman, like, what are you doing? And he's picking away at the middle of the two strings. Like he's not even touching a string. He's just going in between the strings to play, <laughs> not even fingering anything. He's moving his four fingers that are like pressed together and up and down the neck. So mm-hmm. like little things that the casual viewer might not notice just dug in a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that was one thing I mentioned too. Like I, like I said, uh, there was times I noticed that the <laughs> they were playing instruments and it didn't really match the sound that was being portrayed on screen. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give this a nine out of 10. I think it's really good. The first time I saw it, I thought about this movie for like two months. Like I just, maybe not two months, but I really, it stuck with me for a long time. I really thought about it and just the themes going on, the who is right. Who is it? Who is, who's correct in the end? Is it Fletcher? Is it Andrew is, you know, just what's going on. I mean, I should also say that Andrew also was kind of an asshole to people sometimes. Like when he dumped his girlfriend, he was a real dick to her about it. His family during the dinner scene. I mean, yes, we could say it's justified because they kind of pushed the, push the uh, musician thing to the side, but he was still kind of really rude. And even to his dad uh, about that. Oh, here's one line. Sorry. One note I had is my favorite line in this whole movie is Fletcher turns. I'm sorry. Andrew turns to one of the other drummer drummers and says, fuck you, Johnny Utah. Turn my pages. You little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. um, Yeah. So nine out of 10. Perfect. Really good movie. Um, if it would have won the best picture, I would have been okay with it because it was really great. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about this movie other than you should go watch it. Uh, and like I said, if you don't want to watch it, go watch the look up whiplash finale. It's 10 minutes long and you can really just kind of maybe feel a little of the tension going on there. So good. <sighs> so, um, so wrap things up, I guess, uh, anything you've been watching, uh, going on? going on with you to pass the time uh i've been re-watching the watchman series on hbo which is oh. a it's it's art in motion i love it um oh yeah i've also been trying to find new artists to get into rediscovering artists that i used to listen to music wise that i haven't in a while um i've just been trying to immerse myself in a, as much entertainment as humanly possible so i don't have to worry about what's actually going on around me fair true 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 um actually 
I did think of a question that I wanted to ask you about Whiplash that I totally forgot about. So I'm sorry, we're going to go back to that. But how you talked about it, that you came from a program that was intense in high school that was kind of like this. How would you say this movie compares to your experience in 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 that scenario? Um, heavily dramatized. Well, yeah. Um, it, Fletcher was yelling for the sake of yelling. Yeah. Um, whenever a instructor would yell in one of our practices, it would, had purpose. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just to bully someone or point it out. It was a genuine, okay, if you do this, in a live situation, you are going to screw it over for everyone. Everyone's putting in just as much work, if not more work than you right now to be the best we possibly can be. And it also, it built like a level of camaraderie with all of us. Mm -hmm. Like we're all in this together. We're all in the trenches. We're all trying to get to the same place, but with the way Fletcher approached it, it was everyone was against each other, regardless of where you were. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. It, it, like I, one, one thing I t- noticed too, in this movie is that before Fletcher walks into the room, all the musicians are like laughing, they're tuning, they're playing, they're kind of joking around. And literally as soon as the clock hits 9am and Fletcher walks in, everyone's silent, sitting up straight, staring straight ahead, not talking, not doing anything. So it's like that's sort of almost trauma. Um, They're just waiting for the abuse. Exactly. Yeah. So I didn't. I don't have that relationship with those individuals. Even the ones who yelled at me through a shoe, like I'd go grab a beer with them now. They're great people, and sure. they actually were able to relay. I'm pushing you to be the best you could possibly be. Yeah. And you got that. You moved on with it. And I mean, I learned a lot of important life lessons from those people through those experiences. Yeah. So. I'll be honest and say that my, my high school experience in band was the exact opposite. Literally like the, the teacher could not be more hands off. I mean, he cared, obviously he wanted to put out good music, but, and he made us like practice and stuff, but it wasn't not, not that at all. Like uh, really, he just was like, all right guys, let's play. And Oh, you made a mistake. Like, uh, just play it again. And then now well, you're just gonna have to work on that in your own time. If like, that was sort of his attitude. And like, we were good for what we were. I went to a small high school. Um, like you mentioned, when we were talking about bad education, you went to what, like 5,000 students. I had like maybe 400 in my entire school. Maybe. Yeah. My, my, our concert band was like 20, maybe like 20 people. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that serious. So, um, I, Maybe if I had more of an aggressive pusher, I would have been a better musician in terms of uh, playing skill. I mean, uh, it was just a hobby for me, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, oh, I could have been somebody or anything like that. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't have. I joked around a lot and et cetera. But better. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, maybe I would have been a better musician if uh, if I was pushed harder. That's the sort of line I think that, that this movie uh, question that this movie sort of brings up and how I can relate to my own experiences. But okay. <laughs> that was a side note that I forgot to bring up when we were talking about the movie. Um, so I will piggyback off what you said and say that the Watchmen HBO series is incredible. Uh, so um, solid recommendation for anybody to watch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, familiarize yourself with the, H- the, the Watchmen lore a little bit, but you know, 
it's great 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 show i think is one of the best of last year in my opinion um I recently listened to a podcast called The Wizard and the Bruiser, where they go over a lot of like nerd culture stuff. Oh, it's very. Have you heard that podcast? I'm very familiar. Solid. I just listened to an episode on Full Metal Alchemist. So uh, it's a series that I've watched before, an anime series that I've watched before, but never really finished. So right now I'm trying to uh, push through to finish that up. So there's that. that. Make sure you oh, watch yeah. Brotherhood, not the original. That's what, yeah. That's what, so years ago, I watched a couple episodes of the original. I mean, years ago, like when I was in middle school, maybe. <laughs> and uh, and now I'm watching uh, Brotherhood now. So, so much better experience. Oh yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, that about wraps it up. Unless, is there anything that you want to say as a final finality thing? Um, go watch these movies, and thank you for having me. Oh yeah. Yes. One definitely watch those movies and yeah. Thanks for being on. Um, you know, I look forward to hopefully having you on again. So, all right. Peace everybody. Ah!